I'm Krishna, a compulsive overeater and 100 pounder. Um, to qualify my top weight um, that I knew of was 508 pounds. Um, I'm down um, 200 pounds, to, so I'm around 300 right now. Uh, <laughs> so, long way, long trip. Um, I always tell my friends, I've lost a couple of you. Um, it's, uh, I uh, started compulsive. I, the earliest memory I have of associating food with uh, peace of mind, quote unquote, or really it's just numbness, uh, was when I was crying in a store one day, a, little, a store that was called, uh, oh, I can't remember now, but it was like a little dime store thing that ages me. Um, and it, and it was, uh, I was with my dad, and my dad was an alcoholic, and at that time he was an active alcoholic, so he had very short fuse. And if you ever did anything out of line, because he also was from the military, so he had a very short fuse for um, undisciplined actions or doing something that was wrong. And I think he, had, he saw a friend of his, and he had said, Christian, come over here. And I was playing with these little toys, and I said, I, think I, said, I don't think I said no, but I think I said one minute or I'm playing. And he lost it. He went nuts. And he got really, really mad. And I started crying, of course, just bawling and really loud kid crying. And that humiliated him further. So he picked me up and he handed me a lollipop. And I remember that day. And I I remember my parents have it in their album up in Northern California. They have a picture of it. There's actually a picture I don't know who took it, but someone took a picture when I had that lollipop in my hand and it was open. So obviously I'd put it in my mouth already and you could just see my, I was streaming tears, but I wasn't crying anymore. Like you could tell I had stopped crying, but that I was still really wet, but I had that lollipop and I don't, you know, obviously it's no one's fault. It's something that just happened, but I made that association and woo, it was like a roller coaster from there. Um, I uh, was very good at hiding things because my father was always on me. I'm adopted, so I do not share genetics with my parents. And they are two people who've never been over 10 pounds overweight their entire lives. So, and even to this day, they're 82 and 92. God bless their souls. And they cannot, they do not gain weight. So, we don't relate on the same level (laughs) about a few things. Um, and my dad really believed, you know, they did their best. They did the, they're wonderful. And I appreciate them and love them. And my recovery has given me the ability to do that. Um, and also mend fences with my dad so that he and I have a good relationship in this time frame. But um, my entire teenage years and early, um, like, early, like elementary school years, I was, oh, my dad and I were always at odds. Nothing was an agreement. Anything he said, I had the opposite opinion of. I'm very... I've done that with my sponsor, too. Uh, I, uh, I'm very resistant to being told what to do and being controlled. Um, and so whenever my dad would say, he, he signed me up for every sport. I, um, luckily, I've been blessed. I was able to play all these sports. Now, the sport I don't play well is basketball. I don't know why, but it is something that I cannot do. That ball in a hoop doesn't work for me. Um, but... Every other sport I played in, I played all the way through high school. And that probably helped to keep me from getting really, really, really big when I was really, really young. And um, so he signed me up for all these sports because also he thought by doing that, that would masculine, that'd make me more masculine. And um, didn't work, didn't work. It is not environment. <laughs> um, it never worked. Um, but I did enjoy playing sports because, well, there's other things. Um, uh, I got to wear cute outfits. No, um, 
I uh, was really good at soccer. And throughout that time, I would, anytime I was at home, I was always walking on eggshells because my dad and I would blow up at any second. And if we blew up, I would get upset. I didn't want to feel that. So I'd end up hiding things on my body. I was like, like contraband. It's like I was a, a drug, you know, taking drugs through the airport. I'd, I'd hide things in my pants, in my everywhere, in my pants, my pockets, my back pockets, in my shirt. I would um, bring my backpack like I was coming in from school or say I was studying. I'd leave it in the car purposely. So in the evening, I could go in, load it up in there. Like I'd sneak into our kitchen, which always had a creaky floor. I'd sneak in, open up the refrigerator and load up my backpack. And then my dad would, I'd walk by my dad and he'd been drinking all evening. So he'd be kind of sleepy. But for some reason, the second he heard a creak, Christian, 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 always my name. Always Christian, Christian, Christian. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, I just got home. And he, and it was always like, so, you know, he never searched my backpack until he starts noticing that even with all the sports, I was still gaining weight and I was getting bigger. And he kept telling me um, his big motivation for losing weight in that time frame was um, every pound you're overweight is another nail in your coffin. I've never forgotten that statement as long. <laughs> I never will. Um, I, I, it's not something I would ever say to my child, but that's my choice because I was a, I actually had it said to me, so I know how it feels. Um, and luckily I had food to fall back on because I can honestly say if I didn't have the food in that time frame, um, I probably would be in jail for homicide. Um, I probably would have hurt my, because I'm much bigger than my dad. And I'm much stronger than him. And I probably would have pounded him into unconsciousness at many a point because um, I was that angry. You know, it's not about love. It wasn't about a lack of love. It wasn't about a lack of things. I had lots of material things. Um, it was about my rage. I am um, I'm a very, 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 very talented rageaholic. Very angry. Very um, resentful. I held grudges. Oh, I used to love when people in high school would... Um, do something wrong. Do something that bugged me. Something wrong. I love I still say that. No, they didn't do anything wrong. They were living their lives, and it just didn't, wasn't the way I thought they should live it because it didn't suit my needs. Um, that I would plan out elaborate schemes in order to um, get them back. And I was very good at doing the scheming. It would be like, it could be days, it could be weeks, but I would get them, and I'd be there to laugh, laugh, laugh when it all came down. Um, I broke friends up from their girlfriends. Um, I broke people up. I told lies. I mean, I was a master. I, I lied about everything. Um, I lied about my grades. And I've actually gone back and looked at my transcripts and realized I really lied about my grades. Um, I was not that great a student. <laughs> I don't think I was, but I'm not, I wasn't. I am now, but I wasn't then. Um, lots of sneaking. I learned to... You know, I've heard other people share, and I, you know, I, nice to know I have terminal uniqueness. I want to think everything I've done, everything I've experienced is just me, but it's not just me. I am not just, I am not uniquely crazy, apparently. I'm in this room. <laughs> so we all share a certain, okay, this thing. Uh, certain things uh, share a certain, uh, you know, we all share a certain commonality. And, but back then I thought I was all alone. And then I met my friend Vanessa, who is not in this program, so... <laughs> She uh, and I learned that we love to, um, that's when I got into about sophomore year. We got, we started hanging out and I had an upstairs room that was totally separate from the house. Like it wasn't, it only had like a stairwell. That was it. And once you shut the door, it was like its own little place. And um, we would go up there and we would uh, smoke 
smoking an illegal substance at that time quite a bit. And um, of course, with that substance comes uh, a little bit of hunger. And um, we'd be up there for hours my, and, and with, by the window, of course, like we're so sly. Never fooled my parents once because later on I found they knew everything. Um, <laughs> Uh, so she and I would hop in her car because she always had some fabulous sports car her parents got her and we'd jump in the car and we'd go to this discount store that carried lots of uh, treats that we liked to have and it was all like really cheap so if you had like 20 bucks you could get like you know 20 years worth of supplies that we could eat in an hour and um, we would do that every day of the week and even playing all these sports after school and all the activity in my life, I was still gaining weight. Um, I wasn't the big kid. Like, I've actually looked back at, I have pictures, the pictures, I, I don't have pictures of my biggest time, because one, I wasn't a big camera bug in that time frame. But two, I also, my, we had a house fire, and I had all my albums at home, and most of those pictures are gone. They burnt up in fire. I don't know if that was symbolic of something, but... Uh, I just don't, I wish I had them because I made a seven foot Christmas tree look pretty slim. Um, I remember I was standing next to it with my, at the time, fiance. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she was, she's five foot two and was 230 pounds. And I'm, you know, five foot 10 and I was 500 pounds. And I'm in these waist 65 pants that were skin tight on me. And I remember st- looking at this picture after it was taken, and I wanted to destroy it, but she made me keep it because she goes, it's us, it's us, we can't, you can't ever forget that. And because um, I just wanted to throw it in the fire because I go, I saw, I, I didn't like seeing me. Um, I didn't like seeing me or what I looked like. The reality was too much for me. I'd walk, I remember walking by store windows and like, I, I, don't, I would never, like, it's like I had blinders on. I would never see the reflection. And I remember walking by um, mirrors. Never. I don't. I remember. I. The, I remember the effort I put into not seeing myself, because the only thing I want to see, like so many people, I have, again, I've heard many a time. I know I'm not alone. Is from you know here up, not even chest, just here up, because I have moves, so I didn't want to see those either. <laughs> I'm a guy. I'm a guy. I'm a real macho. But um, I. Uh, fortunately. Um, as time went on, I lived that way for quite a long time. And when I moved in on my own, I moved out of my parents' house for the first time um, and went to college. I really ballooned up in college, but I still wasn't that big. Like, I can, look, I can look back at some of those intermediate pictures, and I realize, my God, I wish I could go back to that weight. That would be perfect. Because it still was never as big as I was going to get. Um, after college, I uh, was engaged to be married. I was really living a lie. Like, I mean, I lied to my, you know, a lot of my friends in this time frame have told me, friends from the past who've known me, who knew me for a long time, have said, you know, the only person who believed your lies was you. The rest of us, we all knew. We all knew what was going on. And then, um, and they go, and we all knew, you know, you were just, we were just, we were friend, good enough friends to just let you think we believed what you said. And I'm not sure how that played out, because really none of them are really, we're not really friends anymore. <laughs> As my recovery has gone on, that uh, I've lost a lot of friends in the process. Um, but, uh, you know, friends is a subjective term. I don't know if they were really that good of friends, because I think they liked the people-pleasing Christian who did. I would go to great lengths to make sure my friends were happy and comfortable. If they called me and had a cough, I'd go, oh, let me go to the drugstore. Let me do this. Yet, if I was sick or had a cough or anything, there was no one there. 
I could reach out and they would, they'd answer the phone and they'd hear, I say, oh, oh, you sound sick. I'll, I'll let you sleep. <laughs> Never a hand to help. Like, I realized that in recovery, that was a tough thing to realize because it, it kind of, it, it suddenly changed the dynamic of what I thought friends were. And I thought I was such a popular guy. And actually I was just a people pleaser and people were using me. And I was happy to let them use me because I have no self-esteem. I, I, you know, this program, it's only in the last, uh, oh, I'm sorry, and I have eight years of abstinence, nine years in program. Um, so I, I forgot to put that in the qualifying. Um, it's only because of this program that I even have the ability to have any self-esteem, to have any belief that I deserve love, that I deserve to be cared for, that I deserve people in my life who love me or at least care for me just the way I am. Not because I'm going somewhere, not because I'm going to be something, not because of anything other than just being Christian. Um, I was blessed with working for a company for uh, 10 years, Stars Entertainment, and um, it was a perfect job because I was a sales trainer, so I'd go out and train people, so I got to perform, which I love doing. I got to train, which I've always wanted to be a teacher, and... um, that was an interesting way to do it and still make a much greater income. Um, and I also, because I ate so much, I didn't have to be genuine with how I felt. My clients wanted to see a happy, yay, let's do this. And I was able to give that to them because I didn't have any feelings of my own. I was able to fake it. I just put on whatever act they wanted to see. They used to, I got great reviews from my clients. They loved me. They wanted me to come back. And, oh, he's such a great guy. And... Um, when I got transferred with that job, I was moved down to L.A. And uh, I was I chose an apartment, um, uh, Inglewood adjacent, which at the time I didn't know what that meant. Um, uh, I, I came, not that it's bad, just I didn't know what it meant. Um, and where and I was not prepared for that because I grew up in a in a small city or well, now it's a small city. But back then it was just a small town where, where I was the only child of color in my classes until I got to my got to high school and that's only because they started busting in these poor six six um six children of color from another city and i, I felt for them because it it's a tough it was a tough environment to be in um <laughs> and uh, thus i also grew up with a real lack of cultural awareness my own cultural awareness like my own genetics and my own cultures that are mixed in me um so it, it's interesting as an adult i've got to explore that but um being uh, being out there, I um, I lost my place in my own history. Uh, Inglewood adjacent, that's right. Inglewood adjacent. Um, I was in that apartment, and the, somehow the truck on the Highway 5, the truck got lost between San Francisco and L.A. And he was delayed a day. And I was in my apartment, and this... And I woke, I went, I ordered, I found a way to order. Of course, if I'm anywhere, I could have no phone service. I could have no car because both, you know, I could have nothing. And I would find a way to get food. Trust me, it would find its way to my life. Uh, not it would, I would find my way to get food. And I found out that the complex had free Wi-Fi, which was really new back then. It felt really new. And I was like, so I got on my laptop and I found a way to connect it because I came from a techie background somewhat. So I was able to do that. And I ordered food online and had it delivered to the apartment. And uh, I ordered a lot of food that that night because I was so upset that my stuff wasn't there. I wasn't able to get settled. I felt very alone. I have never felt as lonely as I did that night in afterwards. I'll put that. I've never felt that way afterwards. That night, um, I, I passed. I blacked out. And what I, something I have realized in recovery is I, I never actually slept. I always blacked out. 
Like I, I, now I know what it's like to go to sleep. Because I don't binge before I go to sleep. I don't binge myself into unconsciousness. And um, I, I had blacked out, and I woke up on the floor, what would have been the living room, and um, I was surrounded by trash. And it was a lot of trash. And it was, you know, empty bottles and everything. Not of alcohol, but of soda, of course. And um, growing up with an alcoholic, I think that's the only reason I didn't turn to alcohol. Because um, I didn't like what I saw, but then I didn't like what I saw either way with me, too. Um, I uh, realized there was something wrong. That this is not how people are supposed to... It just, something came to me. I, you know, this is where I like to say... I was at war with God. I had no, I had no, I had run away from religion, my religion of uh, origin. I've run away from everything. I did not want to um, have anything to do with God, religion, anything that had anything to do with spirituality because God had cursed me with this fat body. God had cursed me with parents who were slim and never knew what I was going through. And I cursed me with a father who said horrible things and was quite abusive, emotionally abusive. And, um, you know, I was, I was, I'm the one. I'm being punished by God. I'm a victim. And I remember, you know, it's funny. I remember vic- people who would claim to be victims would drive me nuts. And um, still, it still bugs me a little bit, but it's a little different today. Um, but people, they drive me nuts. And I realized it's, we hate in others. We hate in others what we hate the most about ourselves. So anytime I'm looking at someone and criticizing them, one, I have to do my self-esteem check. Two, I have to do my God check. And three, I have to say, what is it about them are they just like me? And that's what I don't like seeing. I don't like seeing someone who's just like me. And, um, and that's been a, a saving grace. Uh, but I woke up, I found, you know, I logged onto my laptop after I woke up in my trash. And I found uh, the 100 Pounders meeting at Westchester on the OA website. I had just typed in OA in, my Google, <laughs> in Google. And um, that came up. The website for OALAIG came up. And I looked up the meetings, and um, I went to that meeting. And uh, I didn't like being touched. I didn't realize that till I went to that meeting, that I was someone who didn't really like to be touched. And Lord knows I didn't want to touch myself, and I certainly didn't want anyone else to. And I didn't think I deserved to be touched, because who would want to touch this grotesque thing, this husk I was living in? Um, And I went to that meeting, and uh, they have a greeter every week. They have a greeter. And I walked up to that to the door, and it was in this Methodist church, so I was already on fire. Ooh, you know, feeling like water was boiling around me. Um, and I, I was walking in, and this woman was standing at the door. And she's a pleasant woman with this curly, crazy red hair. And she was, uh, she walked, and she gave me, she hugged me, like, hugged me, and said, welcome. And I was, oh. I remember right now, it was just repulsive to me. I didn't want to be, I, I, I just wanted to slither. If I could turn into a snake and slither out of her arms, I would have. And, but she, she really hugged me, and she didn't let go. Like, it wasn't that, a pro, you know, you think, oh, just a second. But it wasn't. It was like a real hug. And I hadn't felt a real hug in a, in a long, long time. And because I hadn't let people, not even my parents, did I want them to hug me. And something inside of me, I always like to say something inside of me broke. Um, but in a good way, um, because that hug, I actually kind of melted into it towards the last couple seconds of it. And um, I went in, I, I then went in the door and sat down and I had, I, I said to, I said to God, 
because I, I knew a little bit about program because I had gone to Al-Anon meetings with a former partner of mine. Um, so I knew there were sponsors and things like that. And I said, okay, God, if I'm going to have a sponsor, they have, to be, they have to be gay, they have to be male, they have to be in, at, their, at, a, at a good, healthy weight, um, and they have to uh, be, you know, they have to be younger. They have to be in my, my age range because otherwise it won't work. Otherwise this program won't work for me. There's no way it would work for me because I had to have all these things. Sure enough, um, I, I'm sitting there, and the leader of that meeting was gay, in good shape, um, had what, definitely had what I wanted and told my story um, in, their, in their lead. And by the grace of God, I have had that same sponsor for nine years. Eight years, nine years total in program. He suffered with me through a lot. <laughs> that first year was something else. Um, I, you know, I, I never perspired when I talked in the past, but that's because I was never talking the truth or talking about myself. And um, it, it's like, uh, I'm all, I, I remember when I'm in the classroom, I'm like, oh, it's perspiration of truth. Um, <laughs> it's the truth leaching its way out of me. Um, it, you know, Recovery in this program has been really, uh, really, I was blessed with, uh, after my first year and losing my abstinence, I only had like a three-day relapse, which I don't know if you could call it that. Um, by the grace of God, I was told to, I was willing to take this direction. I was told to go up in front of the uh, Serenity Sunday meeting and tell everyone that I lost my abstinence. Um, I took my sponsor's direction and I did that. And um, it's been eight years ever since. Um, in that eight years, I've developed a relationship, a spirituality that I've come to rely on a great deal. I'm not perfect in my faith. I am imperfect. I am flawed. I still have my character defects, but they don't run my life anymore. Um, but they do every so occasionally they jump up and say hi. Um, I, uh, I've developed spirituality and a connection to God that I never never would have received any other way. And it's been a, that's been a real strength and blessing because it's allowed me to do a lot of things that I didn't have the faith in myself to do. But if I believed someone else was taking care of me and that the results weren't up to me, which is a big deal, a big part of my recovery is saying the results are not up to me, that I'll make it through, that I'll be okay. And uh, my, as far as, uh, you know, physical, there's been a lot of weight loss. It's still, I'm still not where I want to be, but the nice part is, I'm grateful to be able to. I now walk 20 miles a week. Um, I walk five miles a day, four days a week. I have a neighbor who does it with me. It's great. Um, it's a blessing to be able to do that because I don't. I, when I came to this program, I wasn't able to do that. And there was a time when I could barely walk up a fl- half a flight of stairs without dying or wheezing. Um, I'm a type 2 diabetic, but I became a type 2 diabetic after losing my weight, which is somewhat interesting. But I think it's just my body finally saying, okay, I gave you a lot. <laughs> You're not going to get this one. Um, but, by the, you know, with the exercise and with the medication I'm taking, everything's under control. And it's because of this program that I'm able to eat the way I need to eat. My abstinence is no white flour, no, uh, no refined sugar, no white sugar. And that's a simple abstinence because someone had once told me, make your, you know, my food is, my food is black and white so the rest of my life can be gray. Because I want to live in the gray. I like not being uh, on and off, you know, zero one, zero one, or um, <laughs> computer geek. Uh, that's computer geek me. Um, you know, or being on and off. Like everything was either all yes or all no. Um, I'm really grateful that I get to live in the gray. I get to take a deep breath. My home is very serene. My friends are amazing. You know, I spent the evening with them last night. And 
I'm grateful to have all of you in this room because I know a lot of people in this room and I'm so grateful for, for that because without your belief in me and your support when I didn't believe in myself I wouldn't have made it this far and I don't know where I'm headed but I know everything is everything's going to be okay because again God has a plan for me and I just have to be willing to follow that plan without trying to screw it up like I've done for so many decades so um Thank you. I also appreciate all my sponsees because my sponsees, I will say, they remind me of where I am, where I used to be, and what I, they also sometimes remind me what I need to do <laughs> a lot. Um, so uh, thank you. Uh, this is a time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, please remember, if you ask a question, the sound of your voice may end up on the OA podcast. Oh, so um, let me make sure I understand. So did my mother uh, follow my dad's lead or did she just kind of sit on the sidelines and watch? <laughs> okay, where did I learn about nurturing and who kind of showed me the softer side? Um, definitely my mom. Uh, my mom is uh, much quieter. My dad's full blood Puerto Rican. My mother's full blood German. So they're very at odds emotionally. <laughs> um, and... Uh, my mom is passionate, but she's like a different type of passion than, say, my father. She always would be the person I would turn to when I was completely emotionally beat up by my dad. Um, so she did, my mother did teach me a lot about being, um, well, just by example. She's so, whew, God bless her. Uh, I've been married to my dad for 50 plus, uh, for 50, 58 years. And, um, you know, she is a very compassionate, gentle heart. She doesn't pass judgment quickly, unlike her son and her husband. <laughs> and, um, but she, you know, it's like I was blessed to get her influence, so I have a little more of a balance. I'm not all my dad. I'm not all her. Um, I can get very angry, as people will know in my life. And I can, but I could also, I can be rational about it. And she's the one who gave me that, for sure. She did play a role, but she also was kind of that penitent housewife when I was younger, um, which was somewhat frustrating to me because I wanted her to save me a few times. Yes. Um, how did I discover my higher power? Um, what does it look like? What did it look like in the beginning? What's it look like today? And how do I utilize uh, my higher power? Um, in the beginning, <laughs> I, I always, I just had this, uh, in the very beginning, I didn't have much. I, I just thought God was this very angry person who looked down on us and punished us for everything we did, um, whether it was good or good or bad. Um, I felt like, because I was a total victim. As soon as that started wearing, I started realizing that I was responsible for some of the things that went in my life. And this is the beginning. 
I know I feel like I'm responsible for everything. But <laughs> I realize I'm, I, you know, when I started about my spirituality, at first it was the guy in the cloud in the sky with his beard, very things, images I had seen. Um, and I was raised Catholic, so I had some views that were given, were impressed on me as a, as a youth. Um, that probably is how it started off. And um, at, over time, it's evolved into now I talk to God like it, I'd be talking to a friend of mine. I use foul language. I yell and scream. I uh, detest. I, but I'm also loving, caring, because I know for me, God is an omnipotent force. So everything I'm thinking or saying, if I'm thinking a cuss word and I don't say it, that's ridiculous. You know, God, my God would know. So why should I clean up my language for my God? Um, and I say he, not to be sexist, just my version. Um, so God's become more of just a force for me. I don't really have an image that I keep in my mind anymore. It's just I know there's a force behind what's going on in my life. There's a force behind my recovery. There's a force behind that I can have faith in that I can fall back into when I don't have faith in myself. And that's how I really utilize God in this time frame is when I don't feel confident, when I feel shame around, not necessarily around, you know, food's not an issue in the sense that I don't have shame around my, what I eat anymore. My shame comes from how, how, like, parts of my life, like how I'm living or what I'm not doing or what I'm doing or how, what, what did I fail? That's when I fall back into, um, fall back on my, on my higher power and let myself be taken. But when my faith, when my faith gets really shaken, um, I'm blessed to have a sponsor who can remind me. I'm blessed to have fellows I can reach out to who remind me that you need to let it go. You need to just remember your higher power has your back. And that's probably the best thing in the world. I no longer feel like I don't, like no one's back here. You know, I always have someone backing me up, no matter what situation I'm in. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, what do you do today when you're feeling angry, when you realize you're feeling resentful or angry? Um, what do I do today when I'm feeling resentful or angry? <laughs> I hit someone. No, um, no, I, um, you know, a great example. I was on the phone with my dad, um, uh, in the car, but I had my Bluetooth, which has disappeared mysteriously again. Um, I get it. Um, and I'm driving and this, this, uh, person in their car, like I need to merge and this person is not going to let me merge. And um, they did a lot of effort to not let me in. And I'm like, I had my window down and I'm all, and I, I, was, about to, I, then I, I was about to say something. And I remember, oh, yeah, you have your dad on your phone here. And he's always weird about me talking on my Bluetooth when I'm driving. So I stayed quiet, and I, but I did honk my horn because I go, I need to get in. And um, my dad goes, oh, my Lord, what's going on? I'm like, well, this, this, very, this person won't let me in, won't let me merge in, and it's, it's really making me mad. And he goes, oh, really? And I go, yeah. And he goes, what can you do about it? I go, nothing. And he's, a, he's 30 years sober in AA. So he does sometimes, sometimes on a rare occasion, speak some programmy stuff to me. And, um, and he, goes, he goes, really, can you do anything about it? I go, no. And he goes, are you behind her now? I said her, sorry. It's a her. Um, and I go, yes. And he goes, are you getting on your way? Yes. So what's the part? What are you doing? And I go, oh, you know what I'm doing? I go, let me put you on. I put him on mute. For, I go, let me put you on mute for a second. I said a prayer for her. And I said, you know, I say it in anger. I wasn't completely calm yet. But I just said, let her get to wherever she's going and get everything she deserves today. Uh, 
<laughs> Tinged with a little anger still, but I, could, I have to admit, I, I tend to pray for people when I get really, really angry at them. Um, and it sounds so weird because it sounds weird because I never did that before. Before it would have been like screaming horrible words at her out my window because her window was down too. And um, cutting, finding a way to cut her off later, in, like shortly afterwards, and break really hard and hope she hits me. And, um, or following her and really scaring her to death. That would be another thing. I did that with men or women. Didn't have to be a man or a woman. Didn't matter. And um, I would have done all those angry things. And fortunately today I get to say a prayer for her and let her go. I get to say a prayer for him and let him go. And don't have to live in that anger. Because if I keep that anger, I'm very talented. I will be, the whole day will be a day of anger. And then it could, I may take action on that anger, which would not be healthy for my recovery at all. Tony? Okay, he asked about my work, how I work with sponsees and what I do, what I do with an unwilling sponsee. <laughs> You're fired. No, um, <laughs> I don't do that. Um, I don't have the privilege to do that because it's not up to me. Um, sponsees, I have sponsees call me um, every day. You know, no one's perfect, so no one calls. You know, so they miss a day. The world does not stop turning. Because um, I always say it's their recovery, not mine. Um, and... They call me each day and they just kind of report in, you know. I know some people have shared that they just used to call in and tell the weather to their sponsor. Um, I am totally good with that um, because it's the fact of calling in. I realized for me it was just the act of calling in. Yeah, that, that would save my backside sometimes. Um, they check in with me. If, they're, if something cray-cray is going on, crazy cray-cray is going on in their lives and they're really stirred up about it, um, I'll have, I, you know, we'll talk about it because I'm always saying, I go, it's not, a, I don't, you know, it's good to know what you're eating, but you need to know why you're eating it. Not that you're eating, what you're eating, what, you know, it's, it's, you have to figure out the emotion behind it. What's driving you. And when they're getting really, uh, unwilling and crazy, I go, well, I love the word. How's that working out for you? Cause I think my sponsor said that a few times. How's that working out for you doing it your way? And I find that statement really turns them around a lot. And when they're really resistant and just, I, you know what, I'm not, I, I'm just not that type of sponsor where I'm like, because I know that, that, that wouldn't work with me. I try to always think what works, what wouldn't work with me probably wouldn't work with my sponsees. And if someone pounds and pounds and pounds in my head, it's not necessarily the way. But I, what I always appreciated and what my sponsor does for me is when I've needed to talk something out, like they let me talk it out and they listen. And by listening it softens me because by venting, it gets out. Of course, I don't yell at my sponsor because that was, I did that once and that was, whoo, no, no. Um, <laughs> learned that very quick. Um, but getting that out and talking things out lets the rational, recovered minds take place, step into place, and my willingness will change. And I do the same thing with my sponsees. I, I want to hear what's going on. Talk it out. Tell me. And 90% of the time, I feel like they do. Like when something really serious is going on, we'll talk it out. And as we talk it out, they will realize, oh, maybe his suggestion wasn't so cray-cray. Maybe it's okay. That's usually how I find I can soften them up with the willingness. But, it, you know, honestly, I, I don't control willingness. So if they still don't want to do it, they may not do it. <laughs> and I respect that, too. 
<laughs> so my experience with cleaning up the food and lessening my compulsive overeating. Um, uh, I, <laughs> I used to have feasts. Um, feasts fit for a king and his whole court, but just for me. Um, I, uh, the food, it, it, was, it, was, it was slow. When I first started... My first abstinence, um, I had it in my first book, which I left on some airplane going somewhere. Um, had like, I think it had like 30 or 40 things, specific things listed out on the front pages. And um, I can tell you that abstinence failed completely. Um, it was too complicated, too much to think about. And I was really doing what I thought I was supposed to do as opposed to what I needed to do. Um, I uh, was I, I, at the time um, when that right after that abstinence had failed, and I had confessed my break in abstinence. I um, was talking with with my friend Wendy uh, one day, and it, the subject of white flour and sugar came up, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. That that's it. That's what it needs to be. I need a simple, simple abstinence because I am not a good multitasker. And when it comes to food, I just, it'd be easier to be basic. So um, I decided to do that. And my sponsor's amazing at trying. I never would have thought of this on my own. That's why I say he's amazing, just because I would never have thought of it. How about you try it for 24 hours? How about you just try it from, from this call to tomorrow's call? Don't have any sugar or white flour. And then the next time I call in, why don't we try it for another day? Um, so my food kind of cleaned up because I cleaned up my abstinence. I made my abstinence very black and white. So there's no question that if I have this or this, it's done. And you get to restart. And that black and white has completely worked for eight years for me. Because I don't have to wonder, like, oh, is this food on my list? Or does a sugar-free popsicle really count as ice cream? You know, <laughs> I did the whole sugar-free thing, too. <laughs> paid many a price for that. Um, so that's probably how my food is cleaned up over time. I simplified my abstinence to the most basic components that really cause the true allergic reaction. Because when you think about white flour and white sugar or refined sugar, those two things are almost everything that I binged on. I could say they're in everything I binged on. So it kind of took that list and threw it out the door and just said, it's not even valid. doesn't matter if it's on that list or not. Now you just have to remember you don't get any of this. And that's how it cleaned up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, every day in the, in the evening, um, I tend to be an evening pray, prayer person, but I say prayer. In the evening, I, um, before I go to bed, I say a prayer to God. I say a prayer to the universe because I do see them as separate things. I don't know why, but I do. Um, and I just ask for, for the love, protection, and to continue uh, and to watch over me, um, which, you know, happens whether I ask for it or not. But it just feels good to ask for it. Um, I, uh, and then in the morning I usually wake up and I usually say, thank you for letting, thank you for another day because I, you know, having older parents, I've, I really get mortality. Like I'm starting to understand, I understand it much more because I realize there's, you know, I still have some fear around what could happen to them because they're very, they're, they're there. <laughs> they're on another side of the sidewalk from me. And, um, but the blessing is to still have them. And I say, thank you for them. And I do a gratitude list every night. Um, it's ten, I call it my 10 things list. 
I list 10 things that I'm grateful for, um, period. Like it could be that day or just I'm grateful for in my life. And uh, that keeps me from resentment. I find you can't be grateful and resentful in the same. You just can't. They're not compatible emotions. So if I'm feeling like, you know, I've called my sponsor many times. I want this. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have what I, blah, 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 blah. Do a gratitude list. I remember in my earlier recovery, it was a lot of times, a lot of suggestions to do a gratitude list because I was so resentful about what I didn't have. So that's, that's kind of my practice. Um, I talk to God constantly. I am one of those crazy people who will be talking in the car. I, nowadays, probably people think I'm on a Bluetooth, but I'm, go, I'm just talking to God. I'll just talk to God conversation. I, I don't necessarily have to pray to talk to God, and that, my higher power at least. I just talk in the car sometimes. And I'll cry in the car. I'll yell in the car. I do crazy things. But that, that type of crazy is good. And I think that's, I think that's it. <laughs>